Hi, welcome to the Life Church Utah podcast. We are a church located in Salt Lake City, Utah. We exist to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. Check us out online at lifechurchutah.com. Good morning. Try that the first time. There we go. All right. Had a busy week? Yes. Good week? Pardon me? Smoky week. Have you taken up cigarettes again? <laughs> just kidding. We just got back from Florida. Friday we had uh, what's called general council. We do that with Assemblies of God ministers and missionaries every two years. And uh, guess what? They don't have all the smoke there. So we flew back in and we uh, wondered if, you know, when we went through the clouds, if there would be a city left. And guess what? There, there is a city here still. But we couldn't see it in the air, that's for sure. All right. Well, this has been an eventful week. And uh, a lot of things have been going on. We lost one of the uh, members of our congregation, Charlie Hall. And we are very sorry to hear that. But guess what? Charlie is in the presence of Jesus now. He is in the very presence of God. And his memorial service will be Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. here at the church. So if you have availability and you'd like to attend that, the family, I'm sure, would love to have you come and express your love for them and your appreciation for Charlie. And also, we want to pray for Pastor Alfred right now. Pastor Alfred is in the hospital with COVID, and we want to pray that God will just touch him and bring healing to his body. So let's just pause a minute here and go ahead and do that. Lord, we thank you so much, God. You are a great, great God. You are the one who heals us. You are the one who sustains us. And most of all, you are the one who has saved us, and you will usher us all into your presence someday. God, we thank you that uh, you're going to touch Pastor Alfred. We ask that you'll just minister to him, bring strength and peace to his family right now. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, listen up. I've got a lot to say today. So I hope you went to the restroom before you came in. This is not the time to get up and go out. This is not the time to get up and go get a drink. This is not the time for your cell phone to be on. So shut those off. At least silence them. We would certainly appreciate that. Because I have what they call squirrel syndrome. You know what that is? Man, I chase squirrels all the time. So we got to stay focused. All right. Once upon a time, there was an overwhelmed, stressed-out person. Anybody? (laughs) See, your response is getting better. Good job. And that person might be you. That person became caught up in what we call the spiral. The spiral is the downward plummet toward depression and discouragement. It's that sneaky feeling that slowly creeps into your life. It makes you think irrational thoughts that seem reasonable. At the start, it's subtle. You might think or say things like this. Man, I wish I would have listened more. I always mess that up. Life is hard. Other people can do this. Why can't I? Usually you recognize these types of thoughts. You know they are not helpful and you usually don't fixate on them 
but not today. Today, you begin to listen to them. Your stress level increases and you begin to obsess about the bad and you ignore the good things in your life. You might also say, nothing is going right. Everything is going wrong. And we know that's not true. Everything is going wrong. That's a lie. And the spiral gives a little giggle because guess what? He's beginning to win in your mind. You give him power this time. He offers you thoughts that are far more irrational than the previous ones. You might say, I'm hopeless. I'm a failure. Nobody likes me. And I can't ever do anything right. But there are other signs too. The spiral begins to affect your body. Ten pounds later, you wake up in the middle of the night. Your mind is racing. You already start to worry about the day or the week that's coming. You begin to panic about the bills that need to be paid. You rehearse what your spouse said the night before and how you never seem to have enough money. The day goes by. You feel pressured. There are deadlines, responsibilities, and you're failing to stay on top of it all. You don't have time to deal with these bad feelings because guess what? You've got a family. People are relying on you. You've got a job. You've got to check in. You've got to clock in. And instead of eating a healthy meal, guess what? You get takeout. I'm sure there's some healthy takeout somewhere. I never seem to find it. Later, you feel badly that you haven't eaten healthy food. And you feel badly that you were home late from work. You didn't even get to tuck your kids in. You're tired. You manage to get a little sleep, and then you wake up in the middle of the night, and your brain latches on to more negative thoughts. So guess what? You get up and you watch some TV. QVC is always on. You can always catch an episode of Seinfeld. Something to occupy your mind. You wonder where your life went. You hate your job. There's nothing, or excuse me, there's not enough passion in your relationship. And you know you're not going to get enough sleep that night to help set you up for a positive day tomorrow. And guess what? About 4.30, you finally drift back to sleep. You wake up at 6 o'clock. It's too late for exercise, and you're exhausted. So you have a cup. Listen, you have a cup or maybe a pot of coffee. Because that's going to help. That'll wake you up. Hours later, you're feeling lethargic as the coffee, the stimulant, leaves your system. This is how the spiral starts. It begins with worries, stress, external pressures, and in order to get a quick fix, you look outside the bounds of what you know is good for you. You stop exercising. You eat more unhealthy food. You might even turn to alcohol or other drugs to relieve the bad feelings. This fuels your negative thought patterns, the ones you're already susceptible to because you've done this before. You really should know better. And when life begins to look bad, you feel angry. You feel sad. And finally, you feel dejected. The spiral no longer has to even try to make you feel horrible. 
because you agree with it. You fully embraced it. You don't like yourself, and you really don't like people anymore. When you can't remember the last time you felt like exercising, when you don't feel like socializing, and you want more alone time, when you get caught up in thoughts of the past, feel guilt, shame, and rejection, you're spiraling. Depression is most powerful when you believe it is inevitable and unchangeable. It starts to lose power once you realize that many of its characteristics are habits that depression has pulled you into. And like any habit, they really can be replaced with others. Just because God may allow difficult circumstances does not in any way mean that He is the cause of them and is therefore to blame. Blaming God for bad things is a diabolical accusation. You are saying that God is not good. I would be saying that God is not good. And I think it's a very short-sighted perspective that views God as the reason for pain and suffering. On the contrary, the Bible clearly presents God as the one who sticks closer than a brother. He is our refuge in times of trouble. He is the Prince of Peace. He is love everlasting. That is what God's Word says. Therefore, that is who God is. When we get mad at God because we think He should always and immediately respond to our every demand or prayer, as we sometimes call it, we set ourselves up for incredible disappointment. God works and moves on His own timetable. He has the advantage of eternal perspective, which we don't have, or at least we lose sight of when we focus on our negative circumstances and allow ourselves to be caught up in the spiral. Today, I want us to look at eight problems and eight solutions as they relate to discouragement. We don't do this very often anymore, but you have sermon notes. Sorry? Where's the paramedic? I think we have somebody that's fallen out. But I want you to be able to take these problems and solutions with you so that you can remind yourself this afternoon when the spiral wants to pull you in again, how to combat it. So if you don't have notes, I don't know where they are. They're out there somewhere. No, I'm just kidding. I think the ushers could get you a sermon note if you'd like them. So just raise your hand and they'll, they'll get those for you. So again, today I want to look at eight problems and eight solutions as they relate to discouragement. Have you ever experienced discouragement? Yeah, about 12 times this morning, right? Probably before you even got out of bed, you may have experienced it. So the first problem that we want to look at related to discouragement is spiral thinking. Spiral thinking is a fixation on the negative that compiles and compounds until we find ourselves in an emotional freefall. Now, I believe the solution to spiral thinking is sound thinking. Ask yourself, self, what does God think about me? I know what my mother-in-law thinks about me. I know what my boss thinks about me. 
I know what my neighbor thinks about me. I know what I think about me. But what does God think about me? And that's really what matters. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Or self-discipline, as some translate it. Jeremiah 31.3 also says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. That's the God we believe in. That's the God we serve. 2 Corinthians 10.5, For we take hold of every thought and make it obey Christ. Now guess what? That's where you have to step up. That's where I have to step up. Again, let's read it. 2 Corinthians 10.5, We take hold of every thought. We take hold of every spiral thought. And we make it obedient to Christ. Now the second problem is depressive thinking and speaking. How are you doing today? I'm terrible. And you might be. But are you going to confess that? How are you doing today? You know what? I have circumstances that are pretty crummy. But guess what? God is still on the throne. He loves me. And I am blessed. Amen? This type of thinking and talking, again, focuses on the negative, the bad and the wrong. But I think it goes a step further. It actually causes us to lose sight of God because we put those words, we put those bad feelings between us and our sight of God. So we lose sight of Him. Now let's look at the depression chart. It should be on the screen here. Notice the progression. It starts with distraction. Massive squirrel mode. Okay? This is sometimes characterized by comparisons. Now hear me. They have more money than I do. They have a bigger house, a newer car. Their kids seem to love Jesus, and mine don't. Or they hurt my feelings. I'm upset. And we focus on those things. So we get distracted and we begin to sideline ourselves already. But if we stay there, if we stay distracted, then we move on to disappointment. I don't have as much. I don't have as, uh, the kids that I want. I don't have the job that I want. I don't have all the money that I want. So we are disappointed. And that can lead to discouragement, which leads to distress, which leads to despondency, which leads to despair. Despair. Ever feel desperate? Then you're experiencing despair. Now, if you let it go further, it will either lead to death or deliverance. Only two options. It is critical that we never reach the bottom of the chart. If you do, you should seek immediate professional help. The death side may mean that one takes his or her own life, or death could mean that one walks away from their relationships, including their relationship with God. Now, on the other hand, one can experience deliverance if they get the help that they need. 
Now, I've already offered a solution for the person who has reached despair, but for those who may not have yet reached this critical level, let me give you another solution, and that is this, faith thinking and speaking. Faith thinking and speaking. And I'll go on record, I am not a hyper-faith person. Don't know if you have ever picked up on that the last 16 years. But I do believe that our words make a difference. They really do. Our thoughts make a difference. Positive thinking and positive confession alone will not cut it. You have to mingle a positive attitude with faith-filled thoughts. I think my dog thinks positive thoughts. You give him a treat, this is good. This is positive. Oh, you're going to take me for a walk. I'm excited about that. That's positive. I'm happy. But it has to go beyond that because we are far much more complex than that. And we are spiritual people. So you have to mingle faith with those thoughts. Philippians 4.8, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Those are the things we should focus on. God and his goodness. God and his provision. You may ask, is it true that life and death are in the power of our words? Well, the tongue is used throughout the Bible in both literal and metaphorical ways, especially in the book of Psalms, Proverbs, and James. The tongue is a small part of the body, according to James 3.5. Yet, Proverbs 18.21 says it has the power of life and death. This holds true whether we're speaking of spiritual, physical, or emotional life and death. So yes, we can speak words of life or words of death. How many parents are here? How many children are here who had parents? I just, hey, want to be inclusive here. Hopefully we've never said this, but you may have had it said to you. You will never mount to anything. You ever heard anything like that? May, it may not have been those exact words, but that's what they were saying. You're a loser, so you might as well give up. That is so terrible, and that is so destructive to a person's mind and heart. So never say that, never even imply that toward anybody, even the person on Bangator who is driving you crazy. <laughs> All right, so the third problem is self-focus. Self-focus. You ever catch yourself looking in the mirror too much? No, I stopped that when I was 17. Well, that may be true. But we tend to focus on ourselves often too much. We get into trouble when we focus on ourselves too much because it tends to lead to self-obsession, which can lead to a loss of godly perspective. Generally speaking, we have no greater critic than ourselves. Right? Man, I should have done a better job. Man, I really did a lousy job on that test. Man, I, I should have done this. I should have done that. But guess what? Sometimes there are nasty people that creep into your lives. 
and they end up being even more critical of you than you are of yourself. God deliver us from that. So the solution, and hear me out, the solution I believe is worship and praise. Get the focus off yourself and put it where it should be, on the Lord. Now, Karen and I served as senior pastors at a church in Colorado back in the 90s. How many of you were alive in the 90s? These guys, these girls over here are going, 90s? I've heard about those. I've read about those. But we were pastoring a church in the 90s, and I decided to resign for various reasons. And after that, I felt with, or I dealt with, excuse me, severe discouragement and even depression for about 18 months. It was one of those periods that while I knew God had not abandoned us, I still felt like a failure in some ways. In the midst of those difficult days, I want to tell you that God clearly spoke to me on two separate occasions. Clearly spoke to me. And this is what he said. Number one, do not write the book about this experience that you want to. For if you do, you will get stuck in the hurt and the pain of the past. But it would have been such a great book. It really would have been. It was one of those periods that even while I knew God was still there, I didn't feel him. I felt just the opposite. Now, a little background. I had decided that I was going to write a book entitled Pastors in the Hands of an Angry Church. What we did not realize about this church and the, the district was not forthcoming with information. But after we got there, we shortly realized that this church had had 36 pastors, 36, in its short life. That's a lot of pastors in a short period of time. Life Church, Valley Assembly, Kearns Assembly, which we are and have been in the past, has been blessed by longevity with their pastors for the most part. So you should thank God every day that Pastor Jim was here 17 years. And Pastor Rich has been here almost three years now. So things are going in the right direction. Anyway, I'm off track. But guess what? I didn't write the book. Once I had decided to listen to the Holy Spirit, the Lord said one more thing to me. Number two, God said just three simple yet profound words. Just Praise me. That's all he said. Don't write the book and just praise me. Those two. You know what? When I began to praise and worship him with focused attention, the discouragement and depression changed. Because guess what? I took the focus off myself and again, put it where it should be on God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You've heard of stinking thinking? God help us change our stinking thinking. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Do you want God's good 
and pleasing and perfect will for your life? Set your mind on Him. Focus on Him. Focus on His thoughts and what is important to Him. So the fourth problem is a poverty mentality. Now listen closely. A poverty mentality. This way of thinking says that I'll never have enough and I need other people to take care of me. I need the government or the church to pay my bills. And if I don't get it, I'm going to get mad. Guess what? Because I deserve it. Now, by this way of thinking, it also says I do not deserve to be blessed. I deserve to be taken care of by man, but I don't deserve to be blessed by God. That's only for other people, special people, spiritual people, people who are far more close to God than I am. Now, there's quite a contradiction of thinking here. On the one hand, this person may think that while they don't deserve God's blessing, they do feel entitled. Underline that word in your brain. Entitled. And expect the church or the government and even other people to take care of them. The solution is a provision mentality. No longer a poverty mentality, but a provision mentality. The truth with the poverty mentality is that we are not worthy and we should not expect anything from God. That's the reality. The lie is that even after entering into a personal relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, that we should still not hope for any good to come into our lives. We need to know that we are children of the King and He has made us worthy through His very presence in our lives. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is your and my provider. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And that's not just heart or head knowledge, excuse me, but it's also heart knowledge, head and heart knowledge. This, this verse, excuse me, speaks of both God's physical and spiritual provision. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, this is Jesus speaking, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That is my prayer for all of us, that we will experience the abundant, the full life that God has promised to all His kids. Are you His kid? Therein lies the problem. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You may not feel like you are worthy to be his kid. He has chosen you. He has called you. He has cleaned you up. He's saved you. He's redeemed you. He's empowered you. He wants to work through you. <laughs> Philippians 4.19 and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. All right, quickly, the fifth problem is angry and frustrated thinking. This can be directed toward people or our circumstances. Guess what? Life is full of frustrations. They're not just found on Bangor Highway. 
Could be at a family, family reunion. Could be on the job. You can find frustrations anywhere if you look for them. Now, these can be minor irritations to something that's really big. When we use our frustration and anger to motivate us to change something in our life, anger and frustration end up being useful and helpful. But for many people, anger and frustration result in irritability, rage, stress, resentment, loss of confidence, injured relationships, depression, and the list could go on and on and on. I really believe the solution is joy and peace. Joy and peace. When was the last time you felt joyful? It may have been a while. But I, I pray today that you will experience God's joy and peace. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything. Wait a minute. Does anything in this context mean anything? Yeah, it does. That means family. That means finances. That means friends and any, any other F that you can think of. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Ephesians 4.26, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you were still angry. James 1.19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, we need to learn this. We need to practice this. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Now, the following is one of the most important verses that we can learn as Christians. This passage of Scripture can help us, or it can help release us from the propensity to allow conflict with other people to dominate and subsequently derail our relationships. And it is Ephesians 6.12. You really need to listen to this. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Your fight is not with your spouse. It may look like that, and you can make it be that. Your fight is not with your boss. Your fight is not with your kids. Your fight's not with your parents. Your fight's not with your teacher. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You may at times have conflict with others, but you have to realize that they are really not your enemy. Differences of opinion, different ways of seeing things and doing things are natural. But as the verse says, as this verse says, demonic forces are your true enemy. Don't fight with people. If you do, you're fighting the wrong war. That's a great place to say amen. The sixth problem is a victim mentality. 
A victim mentality is an acquired or learned personality trait in which a person tends to regard him or herself as a victim of the negative actions of others and to think, speak, and act as if that were the case, even in the absence of clear evidence. Someone else put it like this, a victim mentality is one where it is always someone else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. I'm a victim. It's their fault that bad things are happening to you. But more than this, it can be an expectation that things will go wrong. They will be bad because bad things always happen to me. I have a couple brothers-in-law, Doug and Dan. Hope they're not watching today. But we were just with them a couple weeks ago. And they have a saying with each other. Oh, that's just bright luck. Their last name is Bright. And, you know, if anything can go wrong, in their minds, it's going to go wrong. So if anything does go wrong, they just say, well, bright luck. We're victims. And I hear what they're saying, but to be resigned to that is unhealthy. A victim blames others for their circumstances. When something happens, they don't take responsibility for their actions. Now, I really believe the solution is to adopt a victor mentality. 1 John 5, 4, for every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. If you are not experiencing abundant life, if you are not experiencing victory, then maybe you need to ask the Lord to deepen your faith, to help you to walk by faith. How much time do we spend wallowing in our own self-pity, groaning about things with which we struggle, so much so that it becomes who we are? The enemy would love nothing more than to keep us focused on our disabilities and other limitations so that we are distracted from the calling of God on our lives. Satan wants us to have a victim mentality, but let's not lose focus of the reality of who we are. In Jesus, we are a chosen people part of a royal priesthood, and the king has offered us a place in his kingdom. In him, we should have a victor mentality. Now quickly, the seventh problem is weakness. It's going to be a little touchy here, so don't get offended. I'm not attacking you. The seventh problem is weakness, and this is, this is in the area, or in the areas, I should say, of spirituality and our emotional state. So both spiritual and emotional. Much like physical weakness, we are spiritually and emotionally weak because we are spiritually and emotionally unfit. Ouch. Now this may be due in large part to laziness and a lack of spiritual and emotional discipline. Now I really believe, here again, the solution is spiritual empowerment and emotional healing. I know it's hard to hear someone else tell us that we're weak, especially when we are, or at least when we feel weak and when we feel wounded. But sometimes that's exactly what we need to hear. It does no one any good to glaze over the truth just to pacify someone in an attempt to make them feel better. Feelings are important, but they're not the whole picture. 
We owe one another the obligation of speaking the truth in love and then to come alongside them and assist them back to spiritual and emotional health. Let's never forget that true strength is only found in Jesus Christ. And let's also never forget Jesus' words of comfort found in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you tired? Are you weary? Go to Jesus. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you were overwhelmed, if you're overwhelmed, even in your ministry, you've taken on some other yoke than the yoke of Jesus. So let me conclude. The eighth problem is this, a lack of prayer and Bible study. Simply put, the solution is to pray and read, even to study God's Word. Psalm 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. It shows me where I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to do. It gives me direction. John 6.63 also says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. So let me conclude by saying, many Christians simply roll over and play dead. Life's hard. Life's tough. Relationships are hard. Work can be difficult. COVID can be overwhelming. Do I wear a mask? Do I not? Do I get the shot? Do I not? What do I do? Many Christians simply roll over and play dead. They tap out when times get tough or they lash out and attack other people. We need to call on God and press on in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's not give up and give in when the enemy, when the enemy excuse me, comes after us because guess what? He's coming after you. We're not here to praise Satan, but I'm here to make you aware that your enemy is real and it's not your spouse. Stand up in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. I'm really ending now. If this message has spoken to you in any way, I want to give you an opportunity to express your desire to fully submit your life to the Lord and receive his help today. We need his help. We need his strength. We need his perspective. We need his anointing. We need his empowerment. We need his touch in so many areas of our lives. Now, if that's you, I want you to stand with me. In fact, I want everybody to stand. I want, us to say, I want us to say as God's people that we will draw a line in the sand and we will be individuals in a body of believers at Life Church who are victors and not victims. We played that card too long. 
Life is too important to just curl up and die. We need to take authority over the enemy. We need to stand up in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a work to be done. And it's not going to get done with us just going inward and being hurt and being upset, being frustrated and depressed. We have to get out of that. We've got to shake that off in God's power. Yes. Amen? So, Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word, which is rich, which is true, which is powerful, which changes our hearts. God, help us to get into your word. Help us to memorize scripture again. Help us to get back to our first love and live the abundant life that you have destined for us to live. God, forgive us for living in the past. Forgive us for taking offense. Forgive us for being upset and frustrated and depressed and losing sight of who you are. God, we are wrong. And I pray that you will help us to be people of faith and of power and of a sound mind. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.